0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with a special WWE WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and Chris Vanini is back once again to break down everything that happened this week in the world of wwe as the company moves into its first post-wrestlemania pay-per-view appropriately aggravatingly whatever you want to call it named wrestlemania backlash it's backlash with a wrestlemania twist uh we are going to break down every single match on this card we're going to break down every major storyline in wwe leading into the pay-per-view and we will talk about everything that happened across WWE television on SmackDown and Raw over the last week. So you are going to want to stick with us through this entire show. But it would not be an episode of Getting Over if the Silver King did not open in a certain way. And that way is by reminding you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is about divine. So please, folks, it's time. Stop making me ask. And go back to being a mark for me. Head on over to Apple Podcast and Spotify. Leave a five star rating for us on Apple. Also, leave a review. Let people know how much you love this podcast. Because every time a five star rating is left for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we read it here live on the show. And we got another one that came in from Eric One Zero One Seven Seven Five. Great podcast. Five stars. Of all the wrestling shows out there, this one is the best, and it's not even close. Great job, guys, and keep it up. Thank you very much for that review. I really thought it was going to begin. Of all the wrestling shows out there, this is one. <laughs> I thought that's I thought that's where that was going uh, before the compliment. But, Eric, thank you so much, and we appreciate all of your five-star ratings and reviews. But it, it's also beneficial to us for you to do one more thing. That's to head on over to Twitter. Give us a follow at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet usually during the live major wrestling shows in this country, in the United States. I should say, I know not everyone who listens to us, of course, lives in the United States, uh, but Raw Smackdown and Dynamite and NXT primarily. Not only do we mostly tweet live during those shows, but we do all fun types of stuff. Uh, you know, we tweet gifts and videos throughout the week. We discuss news as it breaks. This week, of course, the NXT releases. I will touch on that in a moment. And we also offer live shows for free on Twitter spaces ahead of pay-per-views and premium live events. And wouldn't you know it, we have one of those this weekend. So on Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, 30 minutes before WWE's official kickoff show, we will have a WWE WrestleMania Backlash pre-show live for free On Twitter spaces, all you need to do is follow us at Getting Overcast. We will send out a reminder tweet, and you guys will be able to join the show, listen to us, break down the entire card, and contribute thoughts, questions, and comments live during the show. So every reason to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And of course, since we're doing the pre-show, you guys know coming this Sunday, as soon as WrestleMania Backlash goes off the air, we will, of course, have a very special WrestleMania Backlash Instant Analysis Podcast, that will hit your feeds, it will hit your inboxes, it will hit your Twitter feeds, because we tweet every single time a new podcast goes live, it will hit it very shortly after WrestleMania Backlash goes off the air, we stay up late, we have a beer, we knock that out, and we deliver it right to you so you can listen to it late Sunday night, early Monday morning, whatever the case might be. Of course, between now and then, we will be back Thursday for our AEW and NXT show, that is the episode where we're going to discuss NXT Spring Break-In. We'll certainly talk about the latest in AEW, and we will cover the ten NXT releases from, uh, I believe it was Friday that all of that went down. Uh, a couple surprises, a lot of just tryout people who were there for ninety-day contracts. So, but we'll we'll go through all of that on Thursday show. So I'm going to take a deep breath now. <sighs> With all of that out of the way, let me finally welcome Vintage Chris Vanini into the show after his latest week um, in hibernation. Chris, I know you've been working hard. You've been on the road. Lots of stuff to do, but we're putting that all behind us. We are here to talk WrestleMania Backlash.
1: Yeah, I was busy with some work stuff last week. I'm currently traveling and sitting in a hotel room in Arizona at the moment for work, but I didn't want to miss two in a row. I didn't want to miss the WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate preview. And uh, so, so here we are. It's going to be a weird show kind of after, kind of, I think, a weird weekend of wrestling, but uh, we'll get into that.
0: I am curious to see, you know, when we get to that ultimate preview, which, by the way, will come in the latter portion of the show, I, I am curious to see what we think in general about the card, about the build, because it's not a deep card, and there is a mix of repetitiveness, which is to be expected from Backlash. I mean, you have to give WWE credit to the point that, They've managed our expectations by naming the show WrestleMania Backlash. You know that things that happen at WrestleMania you are going to see again. But I will say it: there, are, there is some refreshed stuff here as well. There's, there are new matches here, but I think like four of the six or seven, however many on the show, are pretty much straight up rematches.
1: Yes, that's exactly four of the six at the moment. Four are of the six legit, are, 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 are complete uh, rematches. So, yeah, I, I mean. I don't know. It's, it's been, like you said, managing expectations. It's it's not been a good month of WWE TV, I don't think. And they've, you know, there's always a lull after WrestleMania. The NBA playoffs are starting. That eats into the ratings and all that. But uh, it just, it, it hasn't felt like they put their best foot forward here. I know they've got a ton of stadium shows coming up in the summer. So, you know, you're you're going to have your down months. And this just feels like it. But it is coming off of such a great WrestleMania. It is I think kind of disappointing.
0: Yeah. I mean, people lauded that we, us included, we lauded that WrestleMania for really exceeding expectations. Right. And they had a lot of momentum coming off of it. And we're not going to talk about it ad nauseum because we already did, but um, we we actually did multiple times. Uh, Roman Reigns being gone for numerous weeks, yeah. seeming like they had one storyline book for him and then not going in that direction, just confusing decisions. And Just SmackDown in its entirety being, it's a bore, man. Like I watch that show most weeks and there might be one or two things I put, I pick out that I enjoy and I'll I'll certainly mention them here and and we'll discuss it. But largely that show is bad television. Meanwhile, you go over to Raw, they don't have a world champion on their program. And the show is, you know, it's better. It's it's just straight up better in every facet in storytelling and wrestling Time on screen. Yeah, there's frustrations. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's just astounding to me how much of a better product I'm getting for three hours, by the way, which I normally hate, but for three hours on Monday night, as opposed to two hours on Friday night on network television.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think Raw's been good the last couple of weeks, but they're trying, I think. I, I think that's kind of the sense that they're at least... Attempting to put some things together and explain them, even if even if they're not doing a great job of it, it feels like they're trying. It's SmackDown it doesn't feel like they're trying. It's it, it's like you said, it's a bore. It's just a very very strange show. Yeah, I will agree with the latter half of that, but
0: I, I do disagree that Raw. If you don't think it's been good, I think it's been good. I mean, it, this the, weeks, Monday night weeks, was a week. good
1: show. Some weeks have been good. I didn't see Monday live. I watched it in pieces, so that's probably impacting my my bit. But just okay, no, there, there's nothing. There's not. There's nothing big happening. Essentially, there's in, no. In, there's so, no world championship. Yeah. So it, it, it's just. It's a weird feeling. Or everything's mid card, low card. Even the the tag team stuff. The way they're changing it. No, nothing feels like massive. And that's it. Just there's been a glaring
0: hole there for a while. Yeah. And for everyone who's going. to... Well, there is a world champion. It's Roman Reigns. Okay. Yeah. But. Number one, he was absent for basically three weeks this month. And Monday night, he returned to Raw for the first time in 28 days. This is the only champion in the company. He was gone for four weeks off of, you know, okay, not the A show anymore. That's technically SmackDown, but your signature program, the one that everyone knows you by. He wasn't there for four weeks. It's it's just wild to me. So look, we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, we ha- we're we going to start with the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're then going to move into the WrestleMania backlash Ultimate Preview, if you are someone who happens to be listening to this show closer to the pay-per-view itself, you want to skip over uh, everything else that happened on SmackDown and Raw and just move over to the pay-per-view preview, all you need to do is visit our episode description, check the timestamps, and you'll be able to go ahead and make that jump. But let me first say, shame on you. You should be listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday soon after we post it. But also thank you for tuning into us uh, close to that pay-per-view and giving us the opportunity to preview it for you. Um, as you get ready to watch WrestleMania Backlash. But Chris, we are going to get to that later. We will preview every match. We will talk about every storyline uh, that is attached to every match in that ultimate preview. We will also give our pre-show expectation grade for WrestleMania Backlash. But unlike most weeks where we begin with the main event, this week, we start by sliding into the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you look- To love me. So I wanted to start off, Chris, with a feud storyline that could wind up having a match on WrestleMania Backlash. It's just as of this taping uh, of this podcast, it has not been announced yet, so we can't put it in the preview when it's not there. But it sure, sure seems like it's going to be. Um, and if it's not, then whatever. But we'll we'll break it down, and that is having to do with the Raw Women's championships. So let's talk about what happened on the show. Uh, Sonia Deville was backstage badgering Adam Pearce, not understanding the investigation into her, what it's about. He said the highest levels of WWE want to see her compete without using her power. Deville tried to make a no-holds barred match when he told her that she was going to be involved in a six-woman tag, but Pearce said she was not a WWE official on Monday and had no control. I just thought this was really well done, the back and forth by both of them. Becky Lynch backstage said she held up her end of the deal when she relinquished her Raw Women's title, but Asuka didn't by losing the title and leaving before Becky came back. She said her comeback story begins with ending Asuka. I thought it was a perfect short promo, and the storyline between both of them makes complete sense. I do sincerely, though, hope Asuka wins uh, the first match in this feud at the minimum. Also, Liv Morgan backstage said she's done putting up with Rhea Ripley shit, which explained the attack last week. All of this, Chris, the the preemptive um, promos and backstage segments uh, to the match itself, I thought all of them were good. They developed three separate women's storylines simultaneously, two of them not around a championship, but they also, while they were doing that, gave us a consistent preview of the main event of the show. So I was thrilled with the way they uh, these three things came across.
1: Yeah, it, it, you know, the, the one thing we criticize WWE for all the time is not having women's feuds that don't revolve around a title. And like you said, there's potentially three feuds out of this. So it, it was a great job of weaving everything in, out, in and out and putting it together, something they don't do much of. And I, you, you made a comment uh, on, the, on the Getting Over Twitter account yesterday about, about Act creating, getting
0: overcast, by the yes. way.
1: At, at, about pre-match interactions setting up and kind of explaining why a match is going to happen. And that is what I meant by Raw is trying. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to put things together and have them at least make some sort of sense. So yeah, this is absolutely good.
0: Well, yeah, to that, to that point briefly, and then I'll, we'll get away from it. WWE for years now has just like put matches on television or just done rematches for really no good reason. They don't explain them. They're just on the show and that's that. And by the way, this is something AEW does as well. They'll just book a match and there's no reason for it. What Raw has started doing over the last two or three weeks is even if it's not something that happens live during the show, they will show you a backstage interaction that happened, you know, earlier before the show, usually. It's it's tagged with a, with a, um, a label on the bottom of the screen to let you know what happened before Raw began. That shows an interaction, a confrontation between people backstage, something like that, and goes ahead and explains a match that you're about to see, and sometimes it even plays into the match itself. Now, that is standard wrestling booking, but it's something that WWE and AEW don't do frequently. They'll just put matches on television and say, well, these are two good people that you want to see, so therefore it makes sense, or they'll do an in-ring confrontation. Someone has something to say, someone interrupts them, then they have a match that's very WWE, very trite booking from them. But having things feel more natural That all these human beings who work together and are on the road together are interacting backstage and have a problem with each other and things just happen. That is more real. That makes me buy into a match. And when I sent that tweet, it was really about the six men with the Street Profits and Ezekiel, Kevin Owens and Alpha Academy that we got on Raw. But it fits this too. It explained um, motivations for all three women, why they would want to tag together from, from kind of both sides, even though we didn't get six different promos. Everything made sense because they touched on each of the storylines leading into the match. So I really did appreciate that. Uh, but we got the match. It was Lynch, Ripley, and DeVille against Belair, Morgan, and Asuka in the main event of Raw. It started 15 minutes after Becky first made her entrance, which was 1030. So the match basically started at 1045. Everyone avoided their partners, but Liv splashed Rhea outside only to eat a sliding drop kick and avalanche leg drop by Becky for a near fall. Belair and Ripley had a really great sequence together. Asuka looked like herself, totally normal, taking out Sonya. She did a hip attack into Sonya, which threw her off the ring apron to the ground. But Liv, before she hit the ground, caught her with her codebreaker outside in a fantastic spot. Really inventive, really cool. DeVille tried to cheat with her legs on the ropes, but the referee refused to count and she threw a fit. Liv then caught Sonya with oblivion and got the clean one-two-three in the main event of Raw, with her teammates swarming her. Belair was almost crying for her. She was seemed super excited. Um, and the cameras focused on Liv, not the other women, which I thought was really cool. Liv was the star of, the, she was the MVP of this freaking match. Again, a match with Becky Lynch, Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, and Asuka. Liv Morgan was the MVP of the match. Uh, she was fantastic from a wrestling standpoint. I was thrilled that WWE put her over here when they easily could have let anyone else get the win. It would have made sense. For DeVille to get it to continue her storyline, for Asuka to get it, considering she just came back. Uh, those two more than anyone, it would have made the most sense. But yet they have Liv Morgan win the match. I went 3.75 stars, B plus, and an obvious good here. This could develop uh further into one of these, you know, women's combinations having a match at WrestleMania Backlash. We'll get to that in a second. But Chris, what did you think of the match itself?
1: I I didn't see the match in its entirety, but from the pieces that I saw in your explanation it sounded pretty good Uh, overall the the weird part is like you said Liv it's nice to see Liv Morgan win that but it's weird for her to win in that spot as the main event of the go home to Backlash when she's not even on the card and at the moment uh, none of these people are on the card for Backlash right
0: and yet it was the go home main event moment yeah
1: so that was that was weird
0: that's true. Uh, but you thought, did you think it was good? What's
1: your grade? Did you give it? Did I miss it? I, I, I don't have a match grade because I didn't see the whole thing. So I No, didn't. a segment grade. I mean. Oh, a segment know. grade. Oh, good. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For yeah, sure.
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, no, I agree. It was a little bit strange. Two things. One, that Liv won and she's not on the card. But two, that DeVille lost when it seemed like this was probably booked so that she could get a pinfall victory and earn another championship match against Bianca Belair. My expectation was that match would be on this WrestleMania backlash card, given there's only one women's match on the card and there's only six matches in total. If we get the match for the show, you know, let's do a very quick preview just in case If we get the match for the show. Chris, Bianca Belair is retaining the title. I don't really think there's much else to it. Um, But if we don't, I would honestly be fine if they put Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan on this show. I think one of those two matches, Becky and Asuka is still too new. We don't need to go to that yet. But either of the women's matches to me would be a nice addition.
1: Yeah, that's my only thought, because they did have uh, Liv Morgan cut like a short YouTube only uh, uh, promo backstage calling out Rhea Ripley. So so maybe that's where they go. But um, if it's if it's uh, Bianca, Sonya, obviously Bianca is winning. It's weird again to not have bianca in a title match on this card there's only one title match on this card right now and it's the charlotte flair ronda rousey match so
0: it's really uh, it's really wild the two big championships that were won at wrestlemania were reigns winning the wwe championship to become undisputed champion and bianca belair winning the raw women's championship and belair's not on the show at all let alone defending the title and reigns is only in because of a booking decision they made that we're going to talk about later it is very
1: strange that that's not taking that's not taking advantage of momentum coming out of mania like you you have a lot of people viewed the product who haven't viewed it in a while and you want to give them a reason to get in or stay in to have those two not uh, to have those two not defending a title it's it's weird i just keep saying weird around this card in, in this show because that's just what it is the whole thing it
0: feels like a sea le- i would call it a sea level card if the talent on it was worse but the talent on the card is so good Right. That it's, it's a B-level pay-per-view, but it feels like a B-level pay-per-view, despite the fact that more than half of it are WrestleMania rematches. That should not be the case. Right. You know? All right. Let's keep going here. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Ms. TV on Raw with Mustafa Ali as the guest. Ali's entrance music got cut off and his mic wasn't working, as Ms. insultingly called him moosed. Uh, Miz asked if Ali is desperate because he's never been champion or because fans forgot about him. He then asked him to not go on Twitter and complain. They keep referencing, of course, him asking for his release publicly. Ali said Miz complains to the powers that be when he has a problem, but Ali goes to the fans because they're the ones who matter. That was a good way to kind of bring it all back. Yeah. Theory said he got Mr. McMahon to wipe off the Miz's lost last week. Uh, then he went on a rant. Ali cut him off saying he doesn't want an opportunity handed to him. He wants to earn a chance to win the title. Theory then gave him a championship contenders match, handicap style, which I don't know how that's a championship contenders match. I mean, you know, this thing that WWE's kind of made up here to explain its champion being a non-title match and occasionally losing, um, it's been appropriate every single time they've done it. So it's a one-on-one if it's a singles title or a tag team match. If it's a tag team title... It made no sense why they would book it this way rather than just do a handicap match. So we had Theory and Miz versus Ali. Ali took a hell of a bump flying through the ropes outside. He dropped kicked Theory off the ring apron and hit a rolling neckbreaker on Miz for a near fall. Ali got distracted by Theory and got hit with the skull crushing finale as he was stepping through the ropes by Miz. Um, after the match, they the heels left the ring. Champa ran in, attacked again, a single shot to the back, no follow up. So... The exact same type of attack last week on the ramp, this week in the ring. Given they're stretching the storyline and they let Ali win clean last week over Miz, I didn't have much of an issue with him being outnumbered and taking the loss here because of happenstance. I just wish there was a little bit more meat that they gave us on the champ attack, given it's now week two of the attack and they have this guy who came back and said he wanted the United States championship and is involved in a storyline with the United States champion but it's now being attacked by someone completely different. So I'm intrigued about the entire thing and I'm sticking with good because I was fully entertained by it. But I do think the storyline, it needs a little bit more sharpening. I I need a little bit more meat on the bones here because right now it doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: Right. I, I I give it a, a, a loose good as well. Honestly, the most the part I'm most interested in involving all these people is Ali versus Miz. I'm right. enjoying their back and forth, but they right. did the match last week. Instead we're getting Ali ver, Ali chasing Theory, but also getting attacked by Champa and Miz is just kind of uh directing everything. So I, I I don't really know where it's going, but it's been interesting enough. But again, to me, Miz has been maybe the biggest star out of all of this in terms of just providing the entertainment because that's what he does.
0: You're you're a hundred percent right. The feud feels like it should be Ali and Miz. And if anything, Champa has Miz's back, right? And he, Ali has to get through Champa to fight Miz for the title. Except Theory is the one who's the champion. So yeah, it's it's all just a little bit backwards. The pairing of Miz and Theory, I'm not saying that's bad, by the way. They are entertaining together, they play off each other well. And it's really helping Theory. Theory doesn't have a problem on the mic, but him being involved with a veteran like The Miz, someone who's very capable on the mic like Ali, it's only going to help him improve. And that's clearly one of the reasons they're doing this. But for Miz to have Theory's back, there'd be no other babyface challenger apparent for him. And Ali to have lost a championship contenders match, even though it was two on one, um, it just is a little bit strange. I do like, though, if you really go like next level on it, which I don't know that they're thinking that way, but maybe they are, you know, the real story is Ali asked for his release and was denied, right? That's what they're not saying out loud, even though they're hinting at it and intimating at it numerous times. Well, what's interesting here is if you think about it, Mr. McMahon is the one who is agreeing with theory to put obstacles in Ali's way. So not only is McMahon not granting his release, he's not even giving him an opportunity to fight for the United States championship. So, you know, if they thought of it that way, and if that plays into it, where Ali storms into McMahon's office and he has a face-to-face with Vince, now I'm really interested. Like, you know, they piqued my attention, but then they would have my interest. At this point, I'm just kind of waiting for them to do a little bit more, but I am curious to see where it goes. Um, Intercontinental championship match, we got on SmackDown. You guys knew I was pissed about this before the show even began. Ricochet versus Shanky. Rick got a nice ovation, I will say. Very uh, natural from the crowd. Shank overpowered him for two minutes. Rick hit a springboard crossbody but got tripped up on the top rope by Jinder Mahal. Shank went for a slam and Rick rolled him up with momentum for the win in three minutes and 30 seconds. Mahal yelled at Shank, so Shank said no. Literally, that's it, and walked out. I thought this thing was absolutely pathetic. How does WWE think the way to get a babyface champion over is to have him get literally... One offensive move in while being dominated for 95% of a match by a guy who's never even had a singles match in his WWE career, and then only allow him to win that match via roll up. And then you do a post match angle with two guys yelling one word at each other that no one really cared about at all. Ricochet winning here could not have been made more meaningless. It's like they actively tried to book a match. That wouldn't get him over any more than he already was. Most of the fan base, me, you, everyone listening to this podcast, could book a better match than this, even if they were only given four minutes. This was not bad.
1: It was absolutely ugly. Zero
0: point zero, Mr. Glutarski.
1: Yeah, ugly. You know, I I think they think Ricochet doing that helps him. Look, Ricochet's gonna come to the champion. He's defending the title. He's winning on on paper. Sure. But the execution of this, there's just, it continues to highlight the lack of depth on the roster after all the cuts that they've made, that they have nothing really else to do. Like the whole point of Ricochet is that he does cool, flippy shit. Just let him do cool, flippy shit. That's what we want to see. We don't want to see him escaping a giant uh, by via roll-up by the way smackdown had i think three roll-up type of finishers finishes in this match uh in, in the show so yeah like you want to get ricochet over like do what ricochet does is great like that's that's all you need to do you don't need to
0: overthink it and do this weird stuff let him win let him hit the 540 centime i think is what he does now the recoil just let this guy beat why can't he yeah. beat shanky clean? All right. I don't understand. Not not clean. He did beat him clean. But with a finisher in five minutes with getting offense, it, none of it makes sense. Let's move on. Uh, Ezekiel on Raw approached the Street Profits and they did a toast to him. He acted a little weird when he took the drink. I don't really know what that was about. Kevin Owens and Alpha Academy ruined the fun, still freaking out about Zeke. It ended with KO throwing a drink in Zeke's face. And this set up the six-man tag match. This is what I was talking about earlier. WWE explaining a match before they actually got to it. The little details are appreciated. I nitpick all the time, but when they give us stuff like this, I appreciate the effort. So we got Zeke and the Prophets against Owens and the Academy. The faces needed a triple drop kick to knock Otis outside. Zeke got the hot tag with a twisting vertical suplex. He ultimately got tripped up by Owens and Gable caught him in a pinning combination for the win. It was an entertaining match with a relatively clean finish and Gable got the win. There's not much more I could want from a television match. I saw Chad Gable and Liv Morgan win matches on the same episode of Raw. That's good.
1: Yeah, exactly. Again, this is not something that ties into Backlash. So there's just, again, there's just a lot on this show that doesn't tie into backlash. But for a TV, you know, one-off building off what they're doing, yeah, it was good. I, I'm getting I'm getting a little tired of the Kevin Owens you're Elias type thing. I think he's killing it and doing the best he can and it was hilarious absolutely hilarious the first handful of times but it's not going anywhere it's still him just saying you're Elias no I'm not and then that's that's what it is and again coming off of the momentum of being in night one main event Wrestlemania against Stone Cold Steve Austin you would hope there'd be a spot for Kevin Owens on your next pay-per-view and there's not so it's kind of weird but the segment itself for a random raw yeah it was good yep completely agree
0: on SmackDown, we had Raquel Rodriguez get her debut match against Kat Cordoza. Raquel said people who look as good as her don't get nervous. Then she promised to take care of business. The segment was branded. I don't know if everyone caught this. It was branded Raquel Ravishes. She didn't look that different other than more eye makeup than she used to wear at NXT. Raquel hit a couple followaway slams and her twisting Vader sent on bomb. Cordoza completely no sold it, uh, which sucked uh, and got some offense. But that's on her. That's on, on WWE. Uh, Rodriguez finally hit the Chingona bomb to win in two minutes outside of that stupid Raquel ravishes banner, which I don't even understand why they did that. Um, This was all it needed to be. She was framed. Well, she
1: looked dominant, looks good in the ring. You know, it was a good segment. I'm giving it a a bad, but it's not her fault. I don't understand what anything is with Raquel. uh, What's she going by? Is she Rodriguez now? Rodriguez. She's Rodriguez now. She's smiling like really wide all the time, even when Natalia insults her a couple weeks ago. She's coming out the to worst. the r- yeah. she's coming out to the ring with this giant. It, like it seems very clear they're telling her smile big, smile big, smile big, and it's just awkward looking. the The back pose, which I know she didn't NXT. It doesn't work when you have the camera so far away, <laughs> right? It just looks like she's just standing there. Yep. And and so that's that's weird. I just think the entire presentation of her makes no sense. We still don't know much of anything about her. They they kind of gave us something one or two weeks ago a little bit, but like it's like the complete opposite of what they're doing with Lacey Evans, which we'll get to. It's like they can't find the middle ground here in terms of just like how to introduce somebody, make them look good, and the. Vast increase in squash matches over the last couple of weeks is just really devaluing all of them because yeah, they have three
0: people, do, uh, four people doing squash matches.
1: Yeah. yeah so it, yeah. it doesn't mean anything when, when everybody's three, doing maybe. them. So I just, I, I, I think Rod, Raquel Rodriguez has a lot of potential to do a lot. I just think she's, I don't understand this presentation of her at all. Yeah, I'm I, giving this a bad.
0: I think it's three doing squashes, but for her again, debut match, the other ones have already been there. I, I I'm okay with it, but you do make a really good point. Like, they did something very similar to Karrion Cross when he got brought up. Right. They did the same yeah. entrance largely, but they zoomed out on him and he looked, he didn't look big because he's yeah. not that big. Right. He just, he just looked like a guy in a real and with him. Obviously they gave him a, like a gimmick, a getup, a, a helmet, all that shit that they just completely ruined that guy. Um, so with Raquel, of course they're not doing that, but yeah, like the whole idea with her is she's big. Like, She's tall. She's dominating and imposing. That camera should be right up on her, just like it is with Omas. Mm-hmm. She's right there. Um, and instead, she just kind of looks like any other women's wrestler. And you're right. The smiling. It's very aliyah esque It's like, oh, she's just really happy to be on SmackDown. No, she ha- should have goals. She wants to win the SmackDown exactly. Women's Championship. She wants to dominate and kick some ass and look good while doing it. You can say that, right? But yes. just her being happy to be there, that's not a gimmick. And, even in the vignettes that they gave of her, they were impressive. You saw her like, you know, beat some people up, but it wasn't one of those vignettes where, you know, the music is dark and foreboding because the person's an ass kicker. It was just, hey, look at all this wrestling that this woman did in NXT and not yet here. So I agree. Uh, they have failed largely on her presentation to this point. I just did with the segment that we got. I didn't mind her beating someone in a squash match. She did a pretty good job. But Kat Cordoza, you got to sell when you're on a, uh, WWE television and you're getting an opportunity. Learn to sell for the stars, please. Uh, Naomi fought Shayna Baszler, also on uh, SmackDown. Baszler caught Naomi trying the rear view, but Naomi rolled her over and into the middle rope and then folded her over for the win in a couple of minutes. Natalia attacked, Sasha Banks saved, but Natty got her in the sharpshooter under the bottom rope as Baszler tried to break Naomi's arm inside the ring. This was unnecessarily short and a really poor match when they could have just done a backstage attack. They could have taken this entire post match angle, done it backstage, given more time to another match on the show and had it been way better. I really liked the post match attack. I thought it was great, cool. but the match was terrible. So I'm going to say bad. It wasn't insulting, but it was bad.
1: See, I, I was going to do the opposite. I, I didn't obviously didn't care much for the match. It was another kind of one of those roll up type finishes. Like I said, I, I'm giving this a low loose good because the post match beat down. Something happened. Something advanced. It was the it's it's the opposite of the Raquel Rodriguez, where maybe the match was fine, but it didn't mean anything. This this meant something. So, you know, is Naomi's arm really broken? How are they going to do that moving forward? I I mean, you I think you really got to lean into her being injured after you do that. That's a it's a real devastating looking move. It looks like they really do break her arm. So I hope it means something. Uh, so I'm giving this a good. It it, it felt like it advanced something, but I think you're right. It probably would have been better as a backstage beatdown.
0: They've really gone away from doing stuff like that, too, which is strange. I don't know why WWE, a company that heavily relied on backstage segments um, beyond just interviews, which is really what they do now. They basically just do backstage interview segments or quick promos. Um, They used to tell stories backstage and do angles. This is something that they easily could have done. People thrown into the road cases, all that type of stuff. And for some reason, they just did it in the ring with a short match. It was completely unnecessary. Uh, All right, let's move on. Xavier Woods fought Ridge Holland in a rematch. Uh, the Butch running away thing has become an extended where's Butch gimmick. Um, I don't know if that's because maybe legitimately he had to go back to the UK or something, or if that's just a gimmick that they're doing. Uh, we saw Sheamus and Holland get pumped up for fight night. New Day cut a promo about Sheamus's past partners. They got a real reaction from the crowd. And they also got energy and chance that continued through the match. And I point that out because the SmackDown crowd was horrible, and WWE piped in a lot of noise throughout the entire show, as you'll hear me talk about later. Woods eventually won with Backwoods again in nearly nine minutes. Sheamus was pissed and immediately challenged Kofi Kingston. So we got Kingston and Sheamus. Kofi hit a crossbody over the ropes, plus a uh, trust fall outside. Um, Sheamus countered the SOS into three Irish curse backbreakers. Kingston dodged the bro kick and hit an SOS for a two. Sheamus caught Kofi flying with a lifted knee and then added a bro kick for the win. I don't have a match time because it began during commercial, but it was long. It wasn't a short match. Uh, Holland attacked Woods and put him through a table after the bell, setting up a tag team tables match next week on SmackDown. I thought it was a good overall segment. We got two decent length matches, probably the right results if you're gonna do 50-50 booking, Woods over Holland and Sheamus over Kingston. Uh, You know, you guys know I hate when Kofi loses singles matches, but he lost to another former WWE champion. It's really hard to blame that booking. Uh, Plus, Woods is continuing to get the backwoods finisher over, and they're allowing him to do so, which is good. It's not the most enthralling storyline, It really feels like it needs to wrap up soon, but I will say good because it was entertaining.
1: Yeah, it was fine. It was, it was, it was, it was good. You know, the, this was the third of, the roll-up type finishes on smackdown but the backwoods is a specific move that they're trying to get over so that one actually made sense just in the context of the show it felt it like also
0: lessens it though when you when that's a finisher and his his isn't a roll-up
1: right his is like a small package inside it's like y- yeah you, but it
0: on, lessens yeah. it yeah. Yeah. when you have so many of this similar type of finishers um right. match finishes i should
1: say right right over the show so yeah, yeah so it was yeah this was fine i i also kind of confused at the butch thing. I don't know. I don't know if the where's Bush thing was a thing happening on Twitter or if they're trying to make it a thing on social media. I I haven't followed it, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, I agree. It probably needs to wrap up soon. You know, they didn't lean into the rich Holland injured biggie stuff when it happened. So they've got have just been fighting for the sake of fighting and it's fine. It's a mid level tag team stuff. Well, they
0: did, they did reference it, but yeah, they're not, it's not a big part of the storyline. And yes, they're they largely the, yeah. fighting over a ATV. I mean, that's how this thing started, right? And it's just oh,
1: yeah. I forgot about that. It's
0: just, it's, it's just completely ridiculous <laughs> at this point. So they have to end this. You know, let these guys, you know, you have Ricochet as intercontinental champion. This group should probably be going after him, right? Like it should probably be Butch failing to win, but giving us a great match with Ricochet, Holland failing to win, but giving us a great match with Ricochet. And Sheamus probably ultimately like beating Ricochet for the title. Uh, two months from now or something like that, right? So, oh, just let's get this going. We got to, we got to separate this stuff out. Um, I'm just, it's the same thing every week and it's really getting yes. monotonous at yes. this point. It really is. Uh, We also had Ludwig Kaiser uh, cut a promo saying, Gunther is the embodiment of greatness. Then he spoke in German or Austrian. I don't, I'm sorry guys, I don't know the difference. Uh, Before Gunther said, respect would be taken by the ring general. Look, it was good enough. They got to start developing some short-term angle for these guys. He has to be able to start beating like the lowest people on the roster. Bring Mace up with LA Knight. Let Gunther beat Mace. Uh, Mansoor. There's people on this roster for him to beat that are not jobbers. We got to start going. It's Walter, man. It's freaking Walter on SmackDown. It's great that he can beat up jobbers. I want to see this guy get impressive because they are not getting a reaction to him. And it's fully because of WWE and the way they're booking it. He's not lost. He hasn't been treated poorly like Karrion Cross, as I mentioned earlier. But there, there's no juice behind them, and they got to get some juice
1: behind them. No, Gunther, Raquel Rodriguez, Veer—people who have come up with no, with appearing of no plan to get them over. Like, who are they? What are they doing? Just beating up squash matches, making threats and promos. They don't mean anything. This isn't 1985. Like right. Like, this is not... And it's not you, WWE superstars on a Saturday no, morning. No. H- how do you yeah. bring these people up and not have an immediate plan of, like, boom, 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 this guy's going to make an impact? If you debut and don't immediately make an impact, people forget about you. You go right to the, to the mid to the lower card. Like... The debut, the the first feud they do—that's supposed to mean something. Kevin Owens comes up, beats John Cena. You got to establish these people that they matter by opening up, not giving us a reason for them to matter. It, it's so damaging. I—it's just—it's so strange not to have plans in place. Like Gunther's done nothing. It's been like a month now. Like what? How was this supposed to get him over? I—I I don't know. We—it's a short thing. We don't need to keep getting into it. It's just this theme of bringing people up as fresh bodies and not having an actual plan to get him over.
0: Yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, Speaking of, we had Veer Mahan versus Burt Hansen over on Raw. Byron Saxton interviewed the job before the bell. He said Veer scares him, but his entire life's goal has been to get on Raw. Veer dominated him, hit the million dollar arm and won with the cervical clutch after the bell. He did it again using the ropes as leverage with some piped in booze. I will say that WWE, they did a good job here with the presentation to get a couple real boos initially. But no one actually seems to care. The more I see Veer, the more I actually like his potential, but simultaneously hate his presentation. I mean, let's just be candid, okay? They're booking him like a foreign savage, as WWE has done so many times before. Meanwhile, if you check this guy's social media, he looks like a million bucks. He's wearing finely tailored suits and jewelry, He looks like a a guy who could be a world champion, the way he dresses and looks on social media. I would love at a minimum to see WWE give us two sides to his character, what he is in the ring, this vicious kind of animal who roars and kicks people's ass. And then backstage in the locker room, he's cleaned up, you know, wearing a really nice suit, walking around with his luggage, you know, going from town to town, right? Give us some depth to his character or get rid of the screaming lion and allow him to be that guy on your television screen. I'm gonna say good because I I really did like the presentation here where they interviewed the jobber. They tried to get the fans behind him locally. It was well done by WWE in an effort to get Veer booed. But the truth is when Veer finally came, which good for him, they probably should have made him a face and they probably should have given him a gimmick like what I'm talking about as opposed to just paying off the monster man who's roaring in his vignettes, so I'm just disappointed by the way they've handled him, but I'm not going to go here on the show and say this was bad because it
1: was pretty good for what it was. I like that they let the jobber talk like like that's you want to talk about something from old old school wrestling that still works to this day, letting someone cut a promo before the match whether it's a face about to get beat up or a heel talking shit to the crowd like that it gets you connected emotionally involved in the match before it starts as opposed to just lining up a jobber and here comes fear so that was that was good i love your idea of he's got two sides to him he's he's got the suit wearing and then he's crazy in the ring. It sounds like a better version of the Damian Priest thing that they that they tried to do. Um so I, I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can change it at this right, point. Cuz it's not good and evil. I it's, like that yeah, idea. But yeah, exercise. again like again, we don't know who Veer is. We don't know what matters to him, why he's here. It's it's just like how am I supposed to connect with this? It's so they reference the million dollar arm without explaining why it's it's, called the million dollar arm. It's so paper thin. It's again, the same thing with Gunter big screaming foreign heel beats up a jobber. like that's whatever. Who cares? Nobody cares. No, you're not going to get any real reaction out of this. It's just, it's again, to go through all that with months of promos and to just not, and and to think this plan was going to work. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Veer is the best
0: of him, Mahal and Shanky. And I only put them together because they were in a group together. He's the He has the largest upside by far and maybe the worst gimmick by far because we've at least seen Shanky be funny before. You know, Veer is just this one sided guy who roars and like to have a male character who roars. I mean, it's like they took the bear cat gimmick and they gave it to him instead of Keith. It is very disappointing. Uh, We got chapter four of Lacey Evans. I honestly swear to you, I thought it was three parts. I thought we were done after last week. So I see her there and I'm like, oh my God, here we go again. She got choked up while talking about becoming a Marine and her father not showing up for her graduation. There were a bunch of fake cheers at the end that WWE piped in. I'm not going to repeat myself. It's not horrible, I guess, but it could be a million times better than her just taking deep breaths. (sighs) This is what it is. It's like, uh, here we go again. Let me tell you my story. This one's going to be tough. I might cry. Like That's what she's saying every single time. If the crowd pops for her when she eventually re great. Good for WWE. It is not making me more excited to see her return. Let this be over. This is a massive failure as far as I'm concerned, and it's really bad.
1: I disagree that it's a massive failure and really bad, but it has gone on too long. I think one or two of them would have been good Four is too much. You're, you're de- again, you're devaluing all the other all sob stories it, right? When, when, the, when it's just weeks and weeks of sob stories, then they don't mean as much. I wasn't on last week's podcast to say that I think WWE took my advice, which was the first two times they did this, you could hear the crowd in the background, and it was incredibly distracting. The last two, they have cut them out except for at the end. So you've been able to hear and pay attention and focus on what she's doing. No, well, the end I, is the end is fake cheers. It's it's piped in audio. Sure, sure. But e- either way, you're you're not hearing the crowd while she's talking, which I, which is important because it was distracting before. I, 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 I the concept of these promos I like. She's talking in a way we don't typically get in WWE promos. The choking up, the ums, the pauses. I it's, I've I've connected to her speaking like that, but it's gone on too long. It, it, it you, you got to move forward now from this. So. I, I'm I'm still giving it a good. I still think overall this was good, but you you got this this whole thing was good, but you got to move forward now. You can't you can you can't can't give four weeks of sob stories. That's that's not that's not that's not going to help. But it, I do think I have connected with her as a person through listening through what she's gone through. It's a complete opposite of all these other people, Raquel Rodriguez, all these people that are showing up with no stories, no reasons for being here. They're just happy to be. They're just happy to be here. We don't know why they're going to be here. She, she is giving me a reason to emotionally invest in her. And that's good. But you, you got to do, do more than, than just this, that.
0: They could have accomplished that in two promos, two vignettes. They All four of them are exactly the same. She's repeating right. the same stuff in all of them. And the worst part is, look, if you want to have Kevin Owens or Sami Zayn or uh, Roman Reigns or whoever do vignettes four weeks in a row, telling a story about where they've been for a period of time, they are going to get it the hell over. Lacey Evans is a terrible actress. So you're saying to someone who is a terrible actress, stand in front of a camera, you're not going to get any help. And you need to act. I'm not saying she's acting like this stuff bothers her because it probably does bother her to tell these stories and know that she's telling them to a large audience. But you know, there's multiple takes for all these things, right? So she's Acting and playing this stuff up, but she's terrible at it. It's like me watching a bad one-woman show four weeks in a
1: row. I, I don't. Th- I don't think it's really been terrible. I, I just that's just you and I disagreeing on it. I, I don't think it's been. I don't think her explaining it has been terrible. I think it could be better. I think the vignettes, I think images and stuff like that, uh, a, a video as opposed to straight up talking would be better. But I don't think she's been terrible. Okay. And I just wanted to defend her on that because I know you've been really hard on it.
0: No, that, that's fine. It, it is us di- disagreeing. It's me being right, you being wrong. But that technically is a disagreement. So we'll, that's fine. We'll move on. Uh, the normal 24-7 people were all arguing when Nikki Ash flew off a road case to drill Dana Brooke in the back, knocking her into the rest of the people. Nikki then pinned her and Dana screamed at Reggie way more aggressively than was necessary uh, to get her title back in a rematch or their marriage was doomed. Why she needed a scheduled match when it's the 24-7 championship and she could sneak up on Nikki at any time and Reggie could just help her win it back, I have no idea. So we got the match. Uh, 24-7 title, Nikki and Dana. Uh, Brooke hit her with a springboard handstand elbow, plus a jumping neckbreaker to win the title back in 90 seconds. I'm so glad we got that in the middle of the ring. Uh, The 24-7 people tried to take the title. Then Reggie tried rolling up Dana. She smacked him and demanded a divorce. Corey Graves and Byron Saxon on commentary. They were the best part of the entire thing. But this was so, so bad.
1: Yes, I'm giving it a bad. It's kind of like you said every other week. It might be good, might be bad. This was this was bad. I I, I still think the wedding a couple weeks back was fun, but everything ever since is just like. Uh,
0: well, yeah, they did I'm the not. good and the bad dichotomy in this very episode because yeah, yeah. there was a backstage segment after this. OK, With R-Truth convincing Reggie that he was a divorce attorney, Uh, he showed a business card that said, the lawman, R-Truth, A-Squire, not Esquire, A-Squire, with a funny quote at the bottom. I thought it was hysterical. Then the camera pans over and we see Nikki dejected that she lost the title sitting on a road case. Dewdrop walks up to her, asks if she's done being pathetic and she's ready to stop playing around and be serious. Nikki looks at her, says, yes. Dewdrop puts her hand on her shoulder. They smirked at each other. So despite my hatred for all the 24-7 shit, both of these interactions backstage were A+. Truth and Reggie were hysterical. Dewdrop and Nikki, they could form some type of angry Scottish female tag team. We know WWE needs women's tag teams. Maybe they're even going to drop their stupid gimmick names. I don't want to get my hopes up, but could you imagine Piper Nevin and Nikki Cross like Back, you know, as a tag team instead of Dewdrop and Nikki Ash, I'm optimistic for this. I really am. And this is an example of what I said earlier natural interactions backstage, two dudes talking to each other, two women talking to each other, advancing storylines, advancing potentially gimmicks. This was very good. I loved this whole little back and forth we got right before the main event.
1: Yes, I I agree. It was good to see. First of all, just good to see Dewdrop back because I, I think she's great. I, I think she should be involved in more. I was, con- I was
0: concerned that she was off TV for a few weeks. I will say. yeah. So, yeah. so
1: that's good. And hey, the idea of Nikki Ash getting serious again, uh, Dewdrop being serious. I'm, I'm all for it. So definitely a good on that. Looking forward to it.
0: No doubt about it. And that is it for the good, the bad and the ugly, Chris, which means we only have one more segment here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And it happens to be the main event. It is our WWE WrestleMania Backlash Ultimate Preview. One more reminder, what we are about to do is break down every single match on the card along with the storylines that go along with it. We will give our match predictions, and at the very end, we will give an expectation grade for WrestleMania Backlash. You are not going to want to miss our pre-show live on Twitter Spaces, nor our post-show podcast, WrestleMania Backlash instant analysis. We will give you more of that information later in today's show. Chris, let's get right into this card. We will start with the low card and we will work our way up to the main event. In the main event, there's a lot to talk about, so we should probably be a little bit expeditious here early. Uh, the lowest of the low on this show uh, is Happy Corbin versus Madcap Moss. On SmackDown, Happy Corbin did happy talk solo, hating on Madcap, saying he was responsible for all of his success. Nearly the entire thing was piped in booze, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, He brought out the trophy under a spotlight, the Andre the Giant trophy. Then he asked for a sledgehammer. And of course, Moss was the one who delivered the sledgehammer to him under a hat. Moss got 100% of the offense. Corbin sold his ass off for him. The crowd barely cared. Then he hugged the trophy and laughed manically in the ring. Holy shit, was this awful. I can't even stress to you how bad this entire thing was. This cannot appeal to anyone even kids. I could not wait for it to end. This needs to end at Backlash, and I don't think it's going to. Both of these guys, not just Madcap, both of these guys need new gimmicks, period. And Corbin, at this point, I think the dude needs to take three months off television and come back completely refreshed. This was awful.
1: It was bad. I liked, I actually did kind of like Madcap being the guy under the hat or whatever to, to reveal, but it didn't get any reaction. Like you said, like that, that was, that was supposed it's to a be a moment. It's a trope. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's yeah. a trope. It was supposed to be the moment to get your reaction. It surprisingly didn't. I actually thought that part was funny, but the rest of it is is dumb. Nobody cares about the trophy. Nobody cares about Corbin. Like, just ugh.
0: who do but, you have uh, winning
1: I, the match here? Uh, again, I guess it depends on if we think they're going to keep going or not. Um, that's up to you. It's your prediction. So yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to say Moss hoping that this ends.
0: I wish I could be that optimistic. I don't see it. Uh, Corbin is established him beating Moss doesn't necessarily hurt him and it gives them an opportunity to continue the feud, which I think is what they're going to do. I'm going to pick Corbin to win and Moss will probably win you know a, a big smackdown match or something yeah. like that just keep this off pay-per-views and premium live events it should not be on there it's not worth it i don't mind it necessarily as a feud because they do need to you know play it out um but it needs to end with both these guys changing their gimmicks at this point they're both dead as happy corbin and
1: madcap moss they, they just are yeah i think so i i thought there was a chance for madcap moss uh, i still think I'm saying as the name as the gimmick. Yeah. Itself. Yeah. He He's yeah. incredibly talented, but yeah, the, the, the madcap stuff is not getting over as a face. So it needs to change.
0: All right. The other low card match is Bobby Lashley versus Omas. on Ross. Cedric Alexander praised MVP for his hurt business leadership. MVP thanked him for seeing the bigger picture, but said he's not interested in kind of reestablishing their relationship. So Cedric told MVP, he scheduled a match with Bobby Lashley, and MVP said, hey, if you prove yourself there, maybe there's an opportunity for you. So we got Lashley and Alexander. Lashley got a new entrance with a drum beat as he flexed on a podium. Same music. Uh, it was almost kind of similar to like when he was with Leo Rush and showing off his ass, except obviously it was his biceps and his muscles. Um, I did think it was a downgrade from his prior entrance, but not a bad one. It's not a bad entrance by any means. Omas and MVP came out immediately after the bell. MVP talked trash live during the match. Lashley did the helicopter into the post. He won with a spear and a hurt lock in two minutes and 30 seconds. I thought the opening segment that they gave us might actually lead to something interesting. Like MVP was downplaying Cedric because Shelton was going to come in and they were going to cost Lashley the match and both of them would join Omos in a new hurt business. Like I thought maybe we were going to get something like that. Instead, they just squashed Cedric. Um, I should have expected it. Really disappointing. Didn't help build the match at all, Really? but also Chris I don't know what the point of this rematch is like if they're just gonna have Bobby Lashley win again then he's beaten Omas twice and what le- what is there that's left if he can't beat Lashley the guy can't beat anyone I do have to believe Omas is gonna beat Lashley I have to assume that's gonna set up a rubber match a third um but I just don't know how they have if they have Lashley over Omas th- there's nothing left for Omas and I even though they want to keep Lashley strong, they want him to be one of the top baby faces on Raw. He's not in a title picture. It doesn't seem like he's going to be anytime soon. So he doesn't need to beat Omos yet. So Omos wins this. Lashley wins the rubber match whenever that happens.
1: Yeah, my my pick is Omos as well. Man, it was disappointing to think about the Hurt Business again and see it yeah. in this context and see where it has come down to. MVP talking in, during the match was incredibly distracting from the match, and the crowd was dead silent because they're trying to listen to what MVP saying. Right, that's never a bit that that works. Uh, that th- this was definitely a bad segment overall. Uh, in the pick as Hamas uh, for Backlash.
0: Okay, so we'll, let's move on. Uh, we have AJ Styles versus Edge. This is I, I should have mentioned Lashley and Omas, of course, is a WrestleMania rematch. This is another WrestleMania rematch. So on Raw, we had Styles versus Damian Priest. Styles got a stipulation added to the match saying if he beats Priest, Priest is barred from ringside at Backlash. They remixed the Judgment Day entrance. They removed the throne and there's no more floating gimmick. It's just Edge walking out kind of under a purple light and Priest walking out behind him. I kind of liked the throne, I will say. I didn't think that was the problem last week. The problem was they had Finn Balor get distracted by Edge standing up from the throne. But I kind of like the entrance we got and this is just a downgrade. Again, compared to it, just like the Lashley entrance. Uh, Edge got in the ring. He cut a promo on Greensboro. There were a mix of very, very light boos, what chance and piped in boos before Edge like realized it wasn't working. So he turned around and just egged on the crowd and he got some real boos. Finally, he also stayed at ringside for the match. Styles hit the phenomenal forearm outside and sold his injured shoulder. Priest baited him outside and then did a lawn dart into the post. Styles pulled Priest off the top rope for a rotating powerbomb and a great near fall. Priest hit a sidewalk slam style backbreaker and later caught Styles flying for South of Heaven and two near falls. Edge jumped on the ropes to distract during a calf crusher attempt and Styles eventually caught Priest in a seated roll up for the win in 11 minutes. I didn't have any problem with the match with the exception of the finish. Why not just let AJ Styles beat Damian Priest clean with a finisher? You don't need this guy to roll up, seated roll up. Just let the guy win, hit the Styles clash, win with the calf crusher, do something to get this guy over before the pay-per-view, a roll-up win is basically a nothing burger. It's it's really nothing. Uh, but I did think it was 3.5 stars And B. It could have been better. Good match, though. Edge yeah, attack. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, go for it.
1: Go for it. Oh, yeah. Again, more, more roll-ups that just... They don't mean anything when everybody does them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Edge attacked immediately after the bell, and Priest hit his new flatliner, which they named. They call it Final Reckoning. Uh, They went for a concerto onto the injured shoulder of Styles, basically to take him out of the pay-per-view. When Finn Balor made the save and cleared the ring, Styles and Balor then kind of looked at each other. They did two sweet together. They hugged and they got a pretty big ovation from the crowd. So that was cool. Now, I said last week, Chris, that the only hope I had for this Balor booking was to team up with Styles and fight this group, this faction, whatever they're going to become. And that's exactly what they're doing, which is fantastic. I'd have liked Styles to get a cleaner win over Priest with a finisher, like I said. That was my only note. It was the best presentation of Judgment Day yet. And we have a storyline that can continue no matter the result of the backlash match. If Styles wins, if Edge wins, it doesn't really matter. You have Styles and Balor together that are ready to fight this group, whether it's in a tag team situation, whether they end up adding members, whatever the case might be. So I was very entertained by this and it did get me excited for the match at WrestleMania back.
1: I did enjoy the segment, but I disagree that it's a good presentation of Judgment Day. I don't understand what Judgment Day is. We have gone from Edge being spooky and controlling lights and flashing lights to him insulting non-existent local sports teams and jumping up in the ring to cause a distraction like any other normal wrestling heel. They don't feel special. They, they, they've gone away from that. I don't. They don't have an identity. And when I think about what they could be or what they should be presented as, I think about Blackpool Combat Club in AEW, where you've got veterans trying to take young guys under their wing and teach them. And I, I you, we're not really getting that from Edge and Priest. It's Edge just talking about how fans used to like him, and 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 he's angry, and it's just it's all over the place. I don't understand what Judgment Day's. Goal is—is is it just to be annoying to AJ Styles? Is it—is it to cause havoc everywhere? That's what I said when this gimmick first started, which was they need to be running rough shot over everybody, and they need to be feared, and they're not. If you edge insulting Greensboro for not having a sports team, like. I, I, I don't
0: I, get this fascination with sports. Like
1: that is not edge. It's never it's, been edge. Exactly. It's it's never. cheap heat. It, it's, it's, it's it's cheap heat his work. I have no problem with doing it. It it it's it's an issue when everybody does it and it's an issue when someone who shouldn't be doing it does.
0: And it. by the way, we're not like singling out Edge. We criticize CM Punk for doing the same thing. He's yes. in a feud with MJF. There's so much material to talk about. And he's criticizing hockey teams. And I'm like, "What the hell are you doing? This doesn't make any sense." You're 100% right. Judgment Day Feels directionless. I will say they did explain their motivations, though, which you said they didn't. That's not exactly true. They basically both said they're taking control of their careers after situations had transpired where they weren't in control anymore, and they gave examples of that. So, like, I'm, I was totally okay. I'm totally okay with the concept behind it. But yes, they tried to do spooky shit. It didn't make any sense. Um, So now they've gone away from that, which kind of thank God because. you know, the Priest ending that match with just like shining a light and the segment ending and coming back and Styles is backstage. I have no idea what that was. They explained, hey, it was just mind games. If they never do it again, I'm okay with it. Right. But you're right. They do need to find an attitude, um, a presentation, a direction. There has to be something to really sink your teeth into this. And I have a feeling because they are slow playing the addition of more members. That is one of the reasons why it feels directionless. Not, you know, I'm not trying to compare this at all to the NWO, but there was a big difference between Hall and Nash coming in as the outsiders and then the NWO forming when they started adding more people and you saw they were going to run roughshod over the entire company. I don't think Judgment Day is going to do that. We're not going to have a WWE slash JD pay per view. That's, you know, none of that's going to happen. However, I do think WWE, in wanting to do this rematch, in potentially wanting to save a surprise, for the end of the match on the show, I do think they've created a situation where the TV has been monotonous because they're waiting to kind of pull the trigger for number two, pull the trigger for number three. And I, I, I'm i going to give them a little bit of a break on that as long as I said the same thing with Balor. I really criticized them about the Balor booking, but I would give them a little bit of a break if he actually did line up with AJ Styles. I feel the same thing here. I'm, I'm not thrilled with it, but I don't hate it. And I'm willing to give them a little bit of a break if this develops at Backlash and beyond.
1: Yeah. So I guess we need to make a pick here. Um, go for it. I, I guess I'll go AJ because Ed, Edge won the WrestleMania match, right? So uh, I, I guess I'll go AJ.
0: So I'm actually going to go ahead and stick with Edge winning the first two matches here. And the reason I'm going to do that is I think with Priest barred from ringside, our expectation, of course, is, well, it's going to be a clean match. AJ Styles is going to win. It's the perfect opportunity, just like they did at WrestleMania, for Edge to debut the newest member of Judgment Day. Yeah. Whether that's Champa, whether that's someone else, a little bit to be determined. But it's a very appropriate situation for that person to show up, distract, cost, low blow, um, You know, take out the shoulder of AJ Styles outside the ring. Do something that creates the opportunity for Edge to win, which then would give us potentially AJ Styles versus Edge inside Hell in a Cell next month with AJ Styles finally coming out on top. So because of that, I'm going to go with Edge winning this match. Um, In fact, that gives me heels winning the first three matches on this card, which is really the opposite of the way I normally pick. But that is what I'm doing here. Edge winning this match.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip and say Edge. I, I think that makes a lot more sense. You're right. So I'm, All right. I'm picking Edge as well.
0: All right. You don't want to be left out in the cold. I get it. So wait, it.
1: Who, who did, who did, I picked Moss, you picked Corbin.
0: I picked we both, Corbin, and we Omos,
1: both? and Edge are my favorites. Yeah, and Edge. Yep. Okay. Are you the same? No, I was a Omos, Moss. And Moss. Ed. Right. That's right. Right. Uh, I
0: did have a DM slide from Mick Johnston at Mick underscore Johnston. He said, Silver King, interested in your thoughts on the best way forward with Balor. Are we going with the predictable, albeit cool teaming with AJ in a Bullet Club pairing or with Priest banned from ringside? Does Finn come out Sunday and turn heel, helping Edge to get the win and joining his faction? I did find that interesting. That would certainly subvert expectations if they had Balor go ahead and turn heel. Balor is so freaking over like legitimately, and the pairing with AJ, even if they added or don't add more people, there's so much money in that, whether it's a tag team selling merchandise, just for TV, getting people excited to watch your product. There's so much money in that and so much excitement in that. I do not see why WWE would go away from that just to not be predictable. I do think it's a possibility. Stranger things have happened and it would be quite a swerve, but I'm going to stick with Balor aligning with Styles, them being baby faces. AJ, by the way, just made face again. Balor really looking for an opportunity to find his footing. Balor linking up with Priest, who he's been feuding with. And Edge, to me, doesn't make sense. By the way, you could also potentially get Finn Balor versus Edge out of this if you have him alongside right. AJ Styles. So there's every reason for me for Balor and Styles to
1: be the real deal. Right. A- AJ's... AJ's undermanned in this, so he, he just he needs a body with him to make tag team matches, make different one on one matches. And I think that's all Finn is. I, I, I don't think it's some resurgence of Finn moving forward, but, you know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll, maybe it can turn into something. We'll
0: see. I mean, there's they're clearly going with this Judgment Day storyline. And if that group keeps growing, they may need to grow, too. I'm, look, I'm, I'm not going to speculate that we might get a Bullet Club style faction with two leaders in AJ Styles and, and Finn Balor. That's too exciting. And I don't think WWE will do it, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to add one or two more people, you know, if there's going to be a long-term feud with Judgment Day. That's all I'm saying. Could call it the club. They could again call it the club or the OC, <laughs> the new OC. There's a million things they could do. Uh, so let's get to the what I think is probably the triple main event of the show. We'll start with Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins part two. On Raw, Rollins uh, appeared for a Rollins Appreciation Night. He began it with a promo. He said he deserves appreciation more than Randy Orton because he's the standard bearer in wrestling. He then went under a spotlight as fans started chanting and singing his theme, which he relished. Uh, Then there were multiple Cody chants and Rollins was ready to show a highlight package of himself. When Cody's music began, and he did a great sell of this, he like, you heard like the drum beat at the beginning of Cody's music and he screamed, no, (laughs) he really sold it. I thought it was hysterical. Uh, There was a double botch with Cody's entrance. He came out too early number one And number two, is pyro was also delayed. It was very weird. Uh, Cody said Rollins is one of the best wrestlers of the last 20 years, but he's also delusional. He said he was also dressed like Johnny Polo, which I think is a reference that went over a lot of people's heads, but it was Raven's old WWF character. If you Google Johnny Polo, you'll see what he looked like. And yes, Rollins looked exactly like him on Monday night. Rollins said Dusty Rhodes was also an egomaniac who thought he was bigger than the business, just like Cody. Rollins said Dusty wasn't good enough to be WWE champion and Cody wasn't either as long as Rollins was around. Rhodes hit a Cody cutter in a full suit, but there wasn't really a huge reaction to it. Cody then threw Rollins jacket into the crowd. I thought it was a perfect go home segment. It sold the match completely. Um, It kind of picked up the energy that had been lost last week. Neither of them confronted each other the week before. It was a repetition of the week prior to that. So this got more juice into the feud. I got excited about it again. Um, they gave us a, a burner, a barn burner at WrestleMania. So I have no doubt that we're gonna get another great match. As far as who's gonna win, Chris, I'm gonna let you go ahead and take that first.
1: Yeah, this this was good to get them back face to face because remember last week's get together with RK Bro and everything. The week before that was when the show ended with Rollins pushing Cody off the thing and wondering if his knee was injured and all that stuff. And it apparently wasn't. So it, w- it was good that they mentioned that. I like the line that Dusty didn't win the championship and neither did you. It shows that both of these men have aspirations beyond this feud which is so important to make them feel like real people. They Mm -hmm. both want to get into the WWE Championship picture, and they know that coming out on top of this is the next step to doing that, as opposed to everything being like, all that matters is that I beat you or whatever. So I like that. I'm back interested in it. This is a great way to have Cody do something that feels important without losing sight of the fact that he still wants to get to the title. That's how you build somebody by keeping that in the back of your mind that Cody's trying to get to this point. And this is the latest obstacle in front of him. So really good. As for the match, obviously Cody won the first one. Uh, We've been picking a lot of heels on here. I know. Next is what? Hell in a Cell, you said? Next is Hell in a Cell in June. Not that everything needs to be a Hell in a Cell match. And and everything cannot be inside Hell in a Cell. Yeah. uh, It feels like a spot where Seth, gets his win back i i'm looking at the rest of the card man and you might be end up picking all i don't know what to do it's know. so weird yeah I know. yeah it's weird i get i guess i'm gonna go seth
0: so i'm right there along with you this feels like a three match series to me just like edge and um aj styles it shouldn't be i guess from a technical standpoint just because the idea would be for everyone to move on and, and do new stuff um but if you're going to do this match again Given how much Rollins has lost recently, it does make the most sense to have Rollins beat him. I'm not saying via roll up necessarily, but to catch him off guard, to beat him in a way that's surprising um, and allow this feud to go on into Hell in a Cell. It doesn't need to be a cell match. By the way, it doesn't even really need to be at the pay-per-view. They could, you know, 9 p.m. main event of Raw, a match, a a rubber Mm -hmm. match between the two. WWE has done that before try to get some big ratings here, considering they're still going up against the NBA playoffs. And by the way, they've also moved Shark Tank um, to Monday nights, along with Better Call Saul. So they're they're getting a lot of ratings competition. So I could see them doing that. I think about what happens if Cody wins. And if Cody beats Seth Rollins twice, there's really nowhere else for him to go than immediately after the Undisputed Championship. Like, there's no one else on Raw. I mean, Omos, I guess, as a heel edge, if they, for some reason, ended the AJ Styles feud. There, you know, Kevin Owens, I guess, is out there where they could start a feud. There's really nothing above Seth Rollins on that show for him to move into if he wins the feud outright. And given Reigns looks like he's embroiled in a uh, world title program or is about to be with someone on the, on the other brand, and I don't know why they would start up Cody right away, I am going to pick Rollins winning this it extending one more month and potentially they could be using McIntyre as fodder to get to Cody. That's something we can talk about later. Um, and then maybe they could book this for Money in the Bank or SummerSlam or something like that. But yeah, as of right now, I'm going to stay with the heels and I'm going to pick Seth Rollins to win, which really, Chris, means I should probably change one of my prior picks. But I'm, I'm going to stick with Rollins here.
1: Yeah, I, it's 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 a B level pay per view. Maybe this is a spot where you you know get get the heels to win after a WrestleMania when when the faces typically win. I I don't know.
0: Yeah. All right. Two more uh you know things to go over. Both are what I would consider the co main events of the show, and they're a little bit long. So please bear with me here. SmackDown Women's Championship: Charlotte Flair against Ronda Rousey in an I Quit match. On SmackDown, Flair backstage said making Rousey say I quit could cause her to leave WWE. Then she said she's better than Rousey at everything. We did not get a promo from Rousey, of course. This was the I quit beat the clock challenge in the main event, and it started with 10 minutes left in the entire show. So they're doing a beat the clock challenge, two matches, and they're starting with 10 minutes left in the show. We got Rousey versus Shotzi. The bell rang and Shotzi ran away. Ronda kept checking the clock as if the time mattered. She was going first. She didn't need to be checking the clock. Idiotic. This was a total squash. Shotzi got zero offense and quit on an ankle lock in a minute 41. Uh, That was her first TV match since February 25th. Her last two matches on SmackDown have been a combined three minutes and 51 seconds. I know she had some personal stuff going on, so she was away for a bit. She's been available since mid-March, and this is how they brought her back. Absolutely terrible. But you know, the match had to be short so Charlotte could cut a second promo that Rousey again did not respond to. So we got Flair versus Aaliyah. After Aaliyah hit a bulldog, Charlotte avoided a high-risk move and hit a big boot. Aaliyah pushed out of the figure four at 30 seconds remaining. Flair got the figure eight on with one second left, and the buzzer sounded. There was a bit of a pop for Rousey winning, and Flair being humiliated. That was about it. Congrats, WWE. You squashed Aaliyah five seconds less uh, than Shotzi, but you made Shotzi say, I quit. Uh, Flair was incensed and embarrassed after the bell, so she turned and put it all on Gulak, who, as I mentioned earlier, was the timekeeper. Uh, She called him stupid and started bullying him, hitting a huge boot into the barricade. It actually left a dent in the barricade. Then she grabbed the bell and smacked him over the back with it. Charlotte did get booed heavily for this. So it wasn't piped in. It was real. Once again, though, Gulak was the best part of the entire segment because he sold his ass off. But they didn't even have Rousey save him or something to create a a pop or do anything. It's like WWE has actively made me less and less interested in this feud as we get closer to Backlash. It's been horrendously handled. Rousey has been a terrible promo the last two weeks. Plus this week, she was completely mute, but neither of those is working. She needs a mouthpiece. It wasn't the worst thing on the show Friday, but it was towing the line of disaster. This is the only women's match on the show, as we've mentioned. And Chris, I have no interest in it whatsoever.
1: This is so bad. Like like when Ronda won the Royal Rumble and we said, is she going to be able to carry her weight on this as a face and we were skeptical of it and she absolutely has not it was really bad going into mania it's really bad going in now she is I, she is
0: somehow getting cheered though legitimately she's she, not carrying her end of the bargain it's not entertaining but fans are cheering for her it's it's weird
1: that's fair and i will say i think the contract signing had really good youtube views like a week ago or something like that it so did. so credit to that as well but just in terms of me caring. I do. I just. I don't care at all about any of this. Charlotte is trying her damnedest to get all the booze and, and and transition the heat to to Rhonda for that. But like you said, Rhonda's not doing any face things. She's not saving Gulak or something like that. She's not coming to somebody's rescue. It could be Charlotte could just be beating down Aaliyah afterward, and and then right. Rhonda comes in to save her something like that. Like right, just just absolutely horrible. I don't care about this whatsoever. I was stunned that Charlotte won at Mania. And they have you know, to have the,
0: Charlotte win at Mania. That's the That's WWE. They have to have Charlotte in a title match at Mania. And she has to win it. They're, they're, you know, there,
1: were, there were the rumors that Ronda may have been upset about something. She denied those. I, I don't know. But going into this, doing another rematch, doing a specific I quit. Unless they pull a rock mankind where they fake, yep. uh, where they put in the fake I quit sound. Mm-hmm. I, I got to pick Ronda here again. I don't think they're I, I I just I don't think they would have gone through all this with Ronda to never put her on the title and have her lose twice to Charlotte.
0: I agree. I completely agree with you. Um, It would not make much sense at all unless they have Sonia DeVille, you know, use her authority, even though it's under question right now, uh, which again, Charlotte and Sonia have been established as having each other's backs. Let's not forget. Although Sonia, of course, is really on Raw right now doing her work. Um, unless they did something like that, which is exactly where my mind went on this entire thing. Um, you have to have Ronda Rousey win, tap out flair, make her say I quit. And that's it. I I don't know how else you would book it other than Rousey winning the title. You certainly cannot have Ronda Rousey legitimately say I quit. Right. I mean, talk about ruining her mystique. It's gone. And if you were to do something like the Mankind Rock where they faked it, um, the problem there is Rousey isn't strong enough as a promo on the mic to like get another match. Like, hey, I got screwed. This is bullshit. Blah blah blah. I deserve a rematch inside Hell in a Cell, and that could happen.
1: Like, the, but, but the, you know that's they already could- that's already the case she's making now because she's saying that that she beat. Charlotte, but the ref wasn't looking and all that stuff. So I don't think you can screw over again. I mean, they might. They might. Well, what I'm saying is, though, she's
0: not she can't even speak well enough to make that case for herself. No, no. So because if you're going to do that angle, you need someone who's so strong on the mic that they sell it. A look, we gave you a schmoz. It was bullshit. But I'm going to sell that. I'm finally going to get a chance. And when I get that chance, I'm going to win the title. A lot of wrestlers, Kevin Owens, for example, they could do that to him 10 times. And he can always sell the next match. Rhonda is completely incapable of selling matches her on her own right now. So because of I mean it's as bad as it's ever been with her, which is wild because there was a time when they turned her kind of heel during the Becky Two Belts, you know, the whole I liked her then. Where yeah. where she was palatable on the mic yeah. and it, it was pretty decent, but she's as bad as she's ever been. So she can't save this if they don't have her win the title. Therefore, she needs to be a champion who basically wrestles and beats people and is a badass. And you cannot have someone be a badass, the baddest woman on the planet and say I quit, Ronda Rousey has to win the title here.
1: Yes, and there's a spot for you to pick a face, so.
0: And and that and it's the only title match on the show. So if you're giving me a 6 match card with one title match, the title better freaking change hands in that match. Yes. Yep. Okay. So speaking of that, let's get to the main event of WrestleMania Backlash and I'm going to pause on telling you what that is because it was supposed to be one thing and it became another and we're going to go over the details of how that happened because there are a lot of stuff developed across SmackDown and Raw. So we'll start with SmackDown, which was first on Friday, last Friday. We had Drew McIntyre against Sami Zayn inside a steel cage. Drew Gulak was revealed as the timekeeper. I think I thought I said that earlier, but I didn't. Drew Gulak was the timekeeper for SmackDown last Friday, okay? Uh, right. It got a laugh out of me before the bell. Drew dominated early until Sami hit an avalanche sunset flip power bomb. Zayn got some offense until McIntyre overpowered him, hit a toss belly to belly, neck and kip up. Sammy avoided a Claymore and hung Drew on the top rope, climbing fully over the top until McIntyre grabbed his head and hit a huge superplex into the ring. Then came the Claymore for the win in 10 minutes and 30 seconds. He got a nice pop, but there was a lot of piped in audio because this was a taped show. I, that's something I also should have mentioned earlier. Smackdown was taped. So one of the reasons it was heavy with piped in audio is because they had the ability to do it. A Good TV cage match. Nothing special or memorable about it. I did go 3.5 stars in a B. I thought they might extend this to Hell in a Cell as I talked about last week. They could have done, you know, a Sammy escape here, a strap match, whatever. They paid off the short-term TV feud. The cage match stipulation happened clean as a whistle. Plus no one tried to use the door. It was really hard to dislike anything about this. It was one of the better short-term storylines that WWE has done recently. Yes, the countouts and all that shit kind of sucked, but it ended clean with two really good wrestlers in a good wrestling match.
1: Yes, and that, that's how you do a good TV cage match. You, you don't go for the door. You have a clean finish in, in, inside. So yeah, it accomplished exactly what it needed to. It, it, had been, it had gotten a little repetitive with Sami Zayn continuing to run away, but they paid it off at the end. So it worked.
0: They did. So later in the show, we had an undisputed tag team championship match contract signing. It was a scheduled segment. The Usos talk shit. Riddle said he couldn't tell the Usos apart. Randy Orton explained it's easy to tell them apart because Jay is the right-hand man and Jimmy's a little bitch. The Usos attacked and RK-Bro fought them off. It was actually a pretty aggressive attack when Roman Reigns entered for what I think was maybe the first time he's ever saved his cousins, maybe the second time ever. RK-Bro got distracted by the long entrance. They just kind of stood there. So the Usos attacked from behind with super kicks and the 1D on Riddle. Reigns then tore up the contract and shoved it in Riddle's mouth. Let's remember here, okay? Reigns literally told the Usos the Friday after WrestleMania that he wanted them to unify the titles. So the guy tore up the contract he wanted for the match he wanted. That is such poor writing and storytelling. There are so many other options to do it, Chris. I couldn't believe that's literally what they did.
1: Yeah, changing the main event of your next pay per view two weeks beforehand, taking out the stipulation the entire thing is based around. Yeah, it's dumb. Look, we don't want the t- tag titles to unify, so ultimately, well, I'm okay with that. Let's
0: get to that. I just want to talk about him tearing up the contract because yeah, there's more. But to yes,
1: it was. It was weird. It's all over the place. Yes,
0: right. Like it just doesn't make logical sense. Right. Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure there's more, and then we'll go over it. Uh, anyway, so McIntyre makes the save finally. Uh, Reigns attacks McIntyre eventually threw him across the ring and outside screaming that it's been a long time coming Reigns sold it big time after commercial Paul Heyman was backstage he told Pierce he should keep Reigns happy and improve the main event to backlash making it a six man with Reigns and McIntyre joining the teams Pierce wouldn't change it because he's like look we have a tag team title unification match this doesn't make any sense I'm not going to take that off the show. So Heyman threatened his career for depriving fans of Reigns. The match was later made official via graphic. So first, I want to say that the execution of this, other than the contract being ripped up, was pitch perfect. Everyone nailed their spots. Orton's promo deserved an attack. The relationship between RK-Bro and McIntyre was established last week. That all gets a thumbs up. Even Heyman bringing the idea to Pierce and Pierce saying, hey, wait a minute, We have a freaking tag team championship unification match set to main event this show. I'm not going to change it until Heyman threatened his job. That made sense too. So I'm giving all of that two thumbs up in terms of storyline explanation, everything except for the ripped up contract. I very much enjoyed on SmackDown legitimately. However, as for the booking, they advertised a title unification for like a fucking month. Yeah. I was also psyched. Because we were about to get a tag team title match to main event a WWE pay-per-view. When the hell does that ever happen? And by the way, it's a high quality match with RK-Bro, maybe the most over thing in WWE, and The Usos, arguably the best established tag team right now in WWE. By comparison, going six man with Reigns and McIntyre, I don't think it's gonna make it a better match. It takes a title match off the card. And it still leaves the potential of a unification on the board for after Backlash. So it's not a step up in any way other than getting Reigns on the card and adding him to the main event. And because of that, I dislike the concept, but I do give appreciation to the execution.
1: I I appreciate that they tried to explain why they changed it. Yes. So so credit to that. But... Yes, changing, like, again, you're not going to have Roman Reigns on TV for several weeks, and you're going to involve everything about him regarding unifying the titles, and then just not doing that to make it a, a six-man tag, it looks, it just, it makes WB look really bad. You know, that that's not how you handle storytelling. And, again, I don't want the tag titles to unify. I hope they don't do it down the road. It's still on the table, but I am glad they're not doing it. But it, again really takes away from this pay-per-view. That that we're, we're not getting that. We're just getting what is a, a raw main event essentially on this pay-per-view on a on a card that has one championship match. So you know, ultimately, I I'm glad if they don't unify the titles, but this is just a it's just a really really odd way to get there. I'm excited about the potential of McIntyre and Roman down the road. So there there are things to look forward to, but just reversing what you've been pushing for 4 weeks is it's just a bad look. And, and was it was this always the plan?
0: Was it because Reigns needed those weeks off TV? So they had to figure out a way to, you know, get the bloodline on both shows. So they did this knowing this was always going to be the case. I don't think it was because Shinsuke Nakamura, don't forget, was involved at the beginning. So to me, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the, the booking was they were going to do a tag team title unification. Reigns Nakamura on the pay per view. Reigns would retain. I would assume the Usos would win. And now you would have the bloodline holding all the tag team and world championships in WWE. It made all the sense in the world. I thought that's what they were going to do. Even if I didn't love it, that's what it was. So for them to go in this direction instead, you know, I just don't understand what happened, why they made this decision. Very odd. But let's continue because on Raw, the bloodline opened the show. As I said earlier, Reigns made his first appearance on Raw in 28 days. Think about that. Uh, Heyman and Reigns did their normal shtick when RK bro hopped in and hit stereo RKOs out of nowhere on the Usos to a huge pop. They did not sell them well, but they still hit the moves. Reigns was then outnumbered uh, as McIntyre entered. RK bro left and McIntyre just dropped this sword named after his mother, precious. He just drops it on the ground off the ring apron like it's nothing. So that way the sides can be even when they battle. He steps in between the ropes. Uh he started fighting Reigns it was pretty even the Usos attacked RK Bro eventually evened out the sides before the referees and officials ran out and Raw went to commercial right in the middle of the action. It was an extremely hot opening segment. Uh the crowd was on fire for it. And it did continue the momentum from SmackDown. Like I said the crowd was into it. But the commercial break and then returning to an empty ring. Those are some of those really stupid production decisions that WWE makes for the TV audience. If you have some of maybe the six most popular people on your show, all brawling. Why would you go to commercial? It would be like <laughs> a football game on second down when a quarterback drops back, he throws it out you see there's a receiver open. them I'm going, all right, we'll be right back. And then coming back and you don't even know if a touchdown was scored. It
1: makes no sense. Right. It, look, sometimes TV shows will go to a commercial at a, at a climactic moment, but you come back to that exact moment. You don't come back to it being exactly. resolved and they don't do it in sports. Very frustrating way to do that. I did like the sneak attack by RK Bro and Roman looked legitimately concerned. Yes, he sold it really well. He looked like well, this is not going according to plan. It was kind of weird that RK Bro would not just attack him. I know their faces or whatever, but but then McIntyre coming out was cool and, and you know crowd pops and everything. So it was it was ultimately I liked what they did. It was just the, the presentation of, of the end of it was weird.
0: Absolutely. So that brings us to the match. And like I said, it is going to be, or like I was going to say, it's going to be a six man tag team match, the bloodline versus Drew McIntyre and RK bro in the main event of WrestleMania backlash. So I want to talk about the match first, and then Chris, we can get to predictions. So rather than do the six man, I would just have preferred WWE run the title unification match, do a double disqualification, but have a big moment at the end of the show with All six guys brawling, and maybe McIntyre standing tall over Reigns. That way, the titles could stay apart. You're still delivering your promised tag team title unification opportunity. Then you book the six man, you get a huge main event for SmackDown, and a juicy angle to give people, your audience, your viewers, a reason to tune into your signature show. This six man should have been the main event for SmackDown, not Backlash. The one positive, I will say is the key to this booking is they did not rush Reigns-McIntyre for Backlash. Because when that first happened two weeks ago, I was like, man, they're just going to throw Drew into a title match with Roman and just waste it. Like literally just throw it away at the B of all B-level pay-per-views. It feels like instead, they're probably going to do that at Hell in a Cell, But even then, you wonder, well, why aren't you saving Drew freaking McIntyre for Money in the Bank, SummerSlam, or the United Kingdom show? And by the way, WWE is going to be doing four stadium shows in a row because after the UK show, they're going to do Crown Jewel. We haven't even talked about the fact that two months in a row, they're going to do afternoon pay-per-views. So we're not going to get an evening pay-per-view between um, August and November, until until, uh, Survivor Series. So that's a whole nother thing for talk about another day. But what it means is the chances of McIntyre eventually winning the title are pretty slim, especially if they begin this thing at Hell in a Cell. So Chris, we can talk about that in a little bit, but I think you mentioned it earlier. To me, they just did this backwards. You pay off the unification match, even if it's a double DQ. You make sure Reigns and McIntyre make appearances on the show. And then you continue it into television. Yeah, is that is that exciting? No. Is a schmas finished to end a pay-per-view? Good. No. But keeping the tag team title unification match and letting fans get 20, 25 minutes of that, it's better than the alternative, which is a six man for no titles and nothing
1: on the line. Yeah, I mean, if we're going all the way back, I would have just had do the Roman Shinsuke match here. It, it was so weird. Well, that's to the go easy forward. thing to do. Of course. Yeah, right. It's, it's so weird to have thought like, again, Coming off of Mania, when you're crowning Roman Reigns as the winner of the biggest match of all time, you're just going to have him not at the next pay-per-view. I don't even know when... When is the last WWE pay-per-view that did not have some sort of world title match on there? I, I don't know. It'd be a while to look it up. But, like, it's such a weird... Again, it's so deflating coming out of Mania that this is your follow-up show and you're main-eventing it with a six-man tag that could main-event an episode of Raw or SmackDown. So... It's it's it, Roman should have been on the show from the beginning. They're it, it feels like they're just throwing things together at the end. Maybe we'll extend the the title unification for later. We the ticket sales aren't good. I don't know. The ratings aren't good. We need Roman on the pay per view, so we're going to put him on now. I, I I don't know, but it's just a very strange way to set up going into the pay per view that you're changing your title match a week or so before the match, or your main event a week before the match.
0: Very strange. The last WWE pay-per-view other than Survivor Series, of course, because that's champion versus champion. The last WWE pay-per-view to not have a world championship match for the men was Elimination Chamber 2020. But that okay. again, that's there a pay-per-view go. that had the IC title defended, the Raw tag team title defended, the SmackDown tag team title defended, the United States championship defended, And the Raw Women's Championship, I forgot if I said that already, defended uh, two of those, of course, inside Elimination Chamber, the SmackDown Tag and the Raw Women's. So it was a multi-title match show and the world champion wasn't there. Oh, well, you still had a really baller show with the women's title main eventing. Here, there's not that. It's just a six-man. This is something that the, I mean, I I think back in the Attitude Era, they probably had a pay-per-view like this. Um, where they had, I I know for a fact, I think they did it at Canadian Stampede, if memory serves. They had a big multi-man match in the main event. Um, That was in your house. Uh, But I know that they had done something like this before. I'm not saying it's it's completely new, but it just feels like it's a lackluster card. And to not just put Shinsuke with RK-Bro and do the exact same angle, but do the tag team title unification match you promised and Reigns versus Shinsuke, which people would have been really excited about, knowing that alternative is sitting right there in, in the palm of their hand and not doing it and saving Roman Reigns. I I, I mean, not, not Roman Reigns, uh, Drew McIntyre. I yeah. have no idea why they didn't go in that direction, Chris. Uh, but regardless, we kind of need to pick a winner here um, for this match. And I will tell you that in almost any scenario, I would normally pick the bloodline to win this match. But Given the insertion of Drew McIntyre and the ability for there to be a finish without, how do I put this? Like without McIntyre beating Reigns or without Riddle like pinning J, which would be kind of like the champion beating the other champion and necessitating um, the unification match because we don't know if they're still going to give us the unification match. We just don't. And the go-home SmackDown is a few days away. So we don't know what's going to happen on that. I'm actually going to go ahead as of now and pick the faces to win this match. I think it's a big moment for Drew McIntyre to stand tall at the end of the show, get cheers. There is more benefit to McIntyre and the faces winning this than there is Bloodline just getting another win to end a pay-per-view, which would kind of make RK-Bro and McIntyre look like they're not worthy challengers. If you're going to start a Reigns-McIntyre program, you need McIntyre to win everything that he's in up until that program begins. So I have McIntyre getting the pinfall and the faces winning this match.
1: Yeah, me too. Just because when you when you take away the real stakes, you know that that's when you give the face a win in this situation. Now, I don't love the the concept, you know, a, a tag team plus a random third person beating a three team team. Essentially, I, I don't love that idea in general. But Drew McIntyre is a you know a world champ and all that, so it it, it makes sense. Yeah, and on a card again where we were picking a lot of heels you know, with no stakes, it makes sense. You, you send the fans home happy with the faces winning. So that's my pick as well.
0: All right. Well, that is the full, uh, WrestleMania backlash ultimate preview, which leaves us Chris with our expectation grades for this show. You, our listeners will get an opportunity to share your expectation grade with us. If you follow us on Twitter at getting overcast, as soon as our pre-show live pre-show Twitter spaces, 6 30 PM Eastern, as soon as that ends, The Silver King will send a tweet 7 p.m., giving you an hour to share your pre-show expectation grades. Uh, And then, of course, after the pay-per-view goes off the air, we will also post another poll on Twitter at Getting Overcast, where you all will be able to share your post-show grades. Chris and I, of course, will do that on our Instant Analysis podcast, where we go over all of this once again. But Chris, I always let you do the grades first. So heading into WrestleMania Backlash, what is your pre-show expectation grade? Oof.
1: Uh, it's not good, I'll tell you that. Um, I I'm leaning like C plus B minus range, especially now that you took out the tag team unification match. There's just not uh, there's just not much of anything on this card that means anything. We think a lot of this is going to continue after this show. I I don't think the build to this has been good at all. I'm gonna say C plus.
0: Interesting. Okay. So I'm also pessimistic about this card. Um, The low card matches I have negative interest in. The SmackDown Women's Championship match, I don't care about at all. But the other three matches on the card, which is 50%, AJ Styles' Edge, Cody Rhodes' Seth Rollins, and The Bloodline versus Drew McIntyre and RK Bro, all of those matches legitimately can be bangers. There is an opportunity for them to deliver a very strong you know, wrestling card, especially given as of right now, and they could always add matches, um, whether it's at SmackDown or before SmackDown, it's six matches on a, on a pay-per-view. That means they should have a lot of time as well. So while I'm pessimistic and I'm certainly not going to give it a high expectation grade, I don't think it's going to be a C show when we know for a fact Rollins and, uh, Rhodes can go, uh, AJ Styles and Edge did disappoint at WrestleMania, but they're certainly very talented. And the main event should be, it should really have the crowd on its feet. Like I think the show, almost no matter what, is going to end exceptionally strong. So we'll end with a good taste in our mouths. So while I am pessimistic, I'm not going to be as pessimistic as you. I'm going to say B minus for my expectation grade. But for both of us, that leaves uh, leaves a very large gap that WWE can fill and exceed our expectations. Uh, It's very similar to kind of what I did at WrestleMania. I did not think that was going to be a good show. They shocked me. Uh, Don't forget, we're coming off this whole pandemic era, Chris, where we've been very down on television and pay-per-views have delivered. Now, there've been a couple hiccups in that road. There were on the road to WrestleMania. But for the most part, the pay-per-views have over-delivered for WWE. And I think they have the opportunity to do that here. But I am going to go with a B- minus as my expectation grade.
1: So so there are three matches that I care about. Like you said, Cody, Seth, the six-man tag, AJ Styles Edge. The thing is... I think all of those feuds are continuing. So we've said this a lot. We've said this a lot is that to me, a good match is great, but like, it's not going to be like something I really, it's not going to be what I am most interested in to, to me, especially at a pay-per-view. I want things to happen. I want stories to end stories to start Mm -hmm. stories to advance. And it feels like outside of the Charlotte Ronda match, um, none of this is it's all going to continue or I don't care about it. And and so to me, there's nothing, nothing monumental, I think, is going to happen at the show, essentially. And there's no real hope that anything monumental is going to happen at the show just because of how they booked it.
0: And by the way, possibly that match also, because there is a not there's not a clear challenger for Ronda Rousey as champion other than Charlotte Flair. That too, like Sasha Banks and Naomi, who are the two, you know, best built up are champions, women's face tag team champions. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez is a baby face. She also just got introduced. Shayna Baszler, even if they were to lose that match, could they build her up? I guess they, they could build up Rousey and Baszler, and I would love that. I mean, it would be pretty freaking sweet to see them finally get to fight each other and do a feud together. But, you know, I don't know that they're actually going to do it. And that's like the women's locker room. Like Shotzi's nothing. She just got beaten a minute. So there's really no one on, on SmackDown who To, unless there's someone I'm completely forgetting about, which is possible. But there's like no women on SmackDown right now to challenge Rousey as fresh heel championship challengers. So even that match could, uh, that feud could continue somehow. So I don't know what Backlash is going to give us. But look, I think we did a fine job giving like a balanced take on this card, despite both of us being pretty pessimistic. And the good news for WWE is they have an opportunity to completely shock us and exceed our expectations and exceed the expectations of the fan base, but more than most other years, really. This actually does feel like a filler pay-per-view, given the fact that we have Hell in a Cell, which is a big money event for WWE, given it's a gimmick, and then four freaking stadium shows in a row that they need to book huge cards for, and I have no idea at this time what they're gonna do for all four of those shows. Now, we may have an opportunity to discuss that, because Chris, in terms of coming up, you know, what's coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, This is episode 296. By the time the week is over, we will be through 298, which means next week, folks, we will have our 300th episode. And as of right now, barring a surprise with uh, WWE and AEW coming back to us with filled interview requests, I I put big names uh, in my request list because it is a big show for us. We may spend episode 300 here of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast booking the damn territory for WWE and AEW, the world title pictures going forward, both uh, WWE has a huge stretch ahead of it. And WrestleMania, of course, is a year away. And AEW has a big stretch ahead of it as well with its major pay-per-view. They don't necessarily have a, a singular one, but I believe Revolution is kind of becoming like their WrestleMania, basically a year away as well. So we may spend episode 300 doing just that. There will also be, I don't want to necessarily say a debut of a new soundboard, but an updated soundboard as I still look through technological advancements to make the soundboard a more integrated part of this show. Uh, but there's a lot of professional wrestling podcasting coming, of course, here on Getting Over between now and then. We will be back Thursday with our AEW and NXT show. We will discuss the NXT releases, NXT Spring Break-In, and the continued build for AEW as it tries to get to Double or Nothing. We, of course, then will be back Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, live on Twitter Spaces with our WrestleMania Backlash pre-show. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Sign up for the reminder and join that show to discuss the pay-per-view live before it begins. We will finish, by the way, we'll wrap it up before the official WWE kickoff show. Do not forget Sunday night, as soon as WrestleMania Backlash is off the air, we will have an instant analysis podcast for you right in this Uh, podcast channel. So if you're subscribed, great. You'll get it right away. If you're not subscribed yet, make sure you do so that instant analysis pops up for you after WrestleMania Backlash. And of course, same bat time, same bat channel. We will be back one week from today with episode 299 of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And remember... So leave us five-star ratings on those services on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love this show. And as I've already said, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. WrestleMania Backlash is this Sunday, and there is a lot for us to get to on the road to that and after that show as well. So I'm going to cut it off today for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King. Adam Silverstein, thank you all for listening. Once again, we will see you Thursday and then Sunday. But at this moment, I have just three final words for you. Bye for now.